Well, it is great being in worship with all of you. If I haven't met you before, my name is Daniel Triller. Always love being uh, in worship with you. I want to say hi to all of you watching online or those of you on the podcast. Great to have you with us. All right, let's get going. I am a pretty big sports fan, and so like a lot of people, I have a tendency to use a lot of sports phrases in everyday conversation. You know, Monday morning quarterback, par for the course, we're in the home stretch, you know, stuff like that. Although from time to time, my sports phrases don't always land the way I think they will. And I was having a conversation with my wife not too long ago, and I told her that we needed to call an audible. You know, like when in football, when depending on the defense, the quarterback decides he needs to change the play. But yet when I told my wife that we needed to call an audible that night, she just looked at me funny and said, what are you talking about? I can hear you just fine. (laughs) Not what I meant. Well, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Resilient Pursuit, where we are asking the question, how can we as followers of Jesus be resilient people who pursue God's making new of all things, you know, especially in the midst of all the pain and suffering that we see in our world? And I think one of Jesus' answers to that question, and it's the theme of the passage we just read, is unity. That in order to be resilient, we as God's people need to come together and function as one body. And now, having different understandings of the word audible, not a big deal, but it's just a tiny example that sometimes we as Christians just aren't on the same page. We are just not in sync, looking at each other, thinking, what the heck are you talking about? And now, this passage that we just read is part of a long prayer that Jesus prays to his Father on the night before he dies. He first prays for himself, then he prays for his disciples, and in our passage, I want you to see this, he's praying specifically to you and me. You know, he's praying for us. You know, take a look, he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their, that is the disciples, message. You know, that's us. The gospel message that was first passed down from the disciples has now been passed down from generation to generation all the way down to you and me. And so Jesus has you and I, the church, in 2016 on his mind as he is praying this prayer. And his prayer is for unity, that we may be one. I mean, it's as if Jesus is saying, guys, there just aren't that many of you. And frankly, there are a bunch of people that are either gonna ignore you or actively root against you. So will you please, please work as a team and stick together? And now, let's be honest, unity probably doesn't sound like all that important or exciting of a topic to, to think about. You know, when I hear unity, I think about people sitting around the campfire, holding hands, singing kumbaya. So thanks, but no thanks. But you start thinking about it, and when it comes down to it, unity matters a ton. You know, if I were to ask you, what's your favorite team that you've ever been a part of? And you can define team however you like. You may or may not talk about a team that had great success, but you will definitely talk about a team that had great unity. And of course, those two things often go hand in hand. Or to flip it around, let's frame it in the negative. Who would want to be a part of a team where the people in it are always fighting, arguing, can't stand each other, and, just, and are just generally miserable half the time? You know, at the end of the day, unity matters. It's Jesus' prayer for the church and all those who believe. And let's try to get a little bit more clarity here. I know unity can kind of be this nebulous concept You know, what does Jesus mean when he's talking about unity? And we gotta start here. 
What it is that unites us matters. You know, truth matters. Just seconds before, Jesus is praying that the the disciples would be sanctified in the truth. And so when Jesus talks about unity, and when we talk about Christian unity, it's important to make clear that unity does not come at the expense of truth. No, unity is rooted in truth. And in our case, it's rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, for as Jesus says, all those who will believe in me. And even more so, it's this fundamental truth that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. You know, Jesus' prayer, he says that they may believe that you have sent me, that the Father has sent the Son, that God in the flesh is Jesus Christ. That's what is rooting us, that's our unity. And so truth matters. But yet, with that said, unity does not mean that we have to agree on everything. Because the truth is, unity can agree to disagree on a number of things. And one of the things that you will hear said at Bell Prez is that we have a position on Jesus and the authority of scripture. And for everything else, we have conversations. I mean, that kind of sums it up. We may disagree on some things, but we agree on the main thing. That is Jesus. I think a visual for unity might be helpful. Let's try to get rid of that kumbaya visual, whether that was yours from the beginning or I just gave it to you seconds ago, my apologies. But let's replace it with this one. This is a rope team. Uh, I used to lead backpacking trips, mountaineering trips up in the coastal mountains of Canada with an organization called Beyond Malibu. We'd lead these week-long trips and we'd summit a mountain. And And on the way to summiting that mountain, you often have to cross a glacier. And if you've ever done any mountaineering, you know that when you cross a glacier, you've gotta get into rope teams. Meaning that you get people in groups of four or so, have them tied together across one long rope, and the idea being that if any one person on a rope team were to fall into a crevasse while crossing the glacier, the rest of the rope team can get down, self-arrest, create an anchor, and make sure that person doesn't fall into the abyss. The rope team is four people moving as one. You know, the same is true for us as the church. You know, think about what Paul says about the church. You know, he says that we are one body, many members that make up one body. And this unity makes us stronger, you know, more resilient. Takes us places that we couldn't go alone. You know, we have rope team moments in the church ourselves, whether it's deacons or other people, visiting people in the hospital or when they're sick, or small groups or families who are committed to each other, accountable to each other, pray for each other. Or even when we partner with mission organizations or support missionaries across the world. You know, our unity, we're all working towards the same goal, heading up the mountain. We want people to know Jesus, we wanna see revival, we wanna see lives changed. And this unity is gonna help us to be resilient because there's strength in numbers. All right, let's, we gotta talk about a couple more things that unity isn't. Unity does not mean that all relationships have to continue at all costs. Because unity does not necessarily mean that you are stuck with all people for all eternity. No, some relationships have natural stopping points and some relationships need to end because they're unhealthy or unreconcilable. And so sometimes there are moments like Abraham and Lot where you just gotta say, okay, you go left and I go right and that's just gonna be what's best here. And so at that point, 
I think the best way to promote Christian unity is that when you do talk about that other person, you do so in a way that honors and respects them. And here's what might be the most important thing, that unity isn't. Unity is not the same thing as uniformity. You know, uniformity says that everybody has to be like everybody else. You know, we all have to talk the same, look the same, dress the same, eat the same foods, like the same music. But yet so many of our expectations that we have for Christians are cultural rather than biblical. And we can't just impose those cultural expectations that at the end of the day are really just personal preference. Because besides, one of the most beautiful things about Jesus and the gospel itself, you know, the the one who calls us to this unity, is that he breaks down all of the cultural, racial, societal barriers that that had existed before. And here was this poignant moment for me. A couple weeks ago, I got to preach at an Indonesian church. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but the service and the people there were such a gift to me. And the highlight by far was the singing. Because what they would do is they had Indonesian lyrics and English lyrics on the projector, side by side, being sung at the very same time. And it was beautiful. And it was one of those moments, maybe you have these moments in worship too, where I chose not to sing. You know, it was one of those moments where I, where I was just like, I gotta, I gotta take this all in. I mean, this is beautiful. And so, was there uniformity in that moment? Absolutely not. But was there unity? Absolutely there was. And it was beautiful. You know, we have to remember that unity is not the same thing as uniformity. And so even today, this first Sunday in October, we celebrate World Communion Sunday, which celebrates our oneness in Christ with all our brothers and sisters across the world. You know, we celebrate the unity that we have with Christians everywhere. Unity just isn't the same thing as uniformity. And here's another way to think about it. Unity does not come at the expense of diversity. No, unity happens in and through diversity. And you start thinking about it, and some of the most beautiful moments in life are a stunning combination of unity and diversity. You know, we see it in sports when a ragtag group of individuals come together, work as a team, overcome the odds, and end up lifting the trophy at the end of the year. And when we see it in music over and over, when you've got soprano, alto, tenor, and bass, all these different instruments coming together and creating one song. I mean, we see it in church. I mean, the church is at its best when it is that beautiful combination of unity and diversity. But yet, here's where where this passage really blows me away. I think the ultimate example of unity and diversity is seen in God himself. We see it in the Trinity. Because take a look at what Jesus says here. And this to me is incredible. He says, my prayer is that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. You know, Jesus paints a picture as to what our unity should look like. And that is a unity that reflects the Trinity. I mean, the Holy Spirit isn't mentioned directly in this passage, but Jesus has talked about him and introduced him just moments before. And so when Jesus says that he wants the church to be one, he's thinking about the Trinity. And let's just explain this real quick. The Trinity is this reality, this belief, that we worship one God who who eternally exists 
as three persons. And it's one of life's greatest mysteries. Like, if the sun is so hot, why is space so cold? And I've realized there's an answer to that question. It just breaks my little brain to think about it. You know, the Trinity is a mystery, and we're never going to be able to fully comprehend it. I mean, we've tried. We've come up with all sorts of different analogies. Some people say that God is like water, which can take the shape of three different forms, solid, liquid, gas. But then that's like saying that God the Father morphs into God the Son when you bring the temperature below 32 degrees Fahrenheit. That just, that just doesn't make any sense. But yet the nature of the Trinity gives us a glimpse as to what our unity as Christians should look like. You know, we worship one God in three persons. Each person is fully God, but yet each is different from the other, and they have different roles. The Father wills and sends the Son to redeem the world. The Son obeys the Father's will and secures redemption for us on the cross. And the Holy Spirit applies that work of redemption for us today. Each one works in concert with the other. Each part of the Trinity loves the other, serves the other, delights the other, glorifies the other. And it's a stunning blend of unity and diversity. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you're probably thinking, well, that still doesn't make any sense, this one God and three persons thing. And believe me, I get you. But think of it this way. You know, as a rope team, four or one. You know, as a band, eight or one. You know, as a marriage, two or one. Is Bel Perez a few thousand or one? Is God three or one? Yes. And even that is probably a flawed understanding of the Trinity. No comparisons are perfect, but I hope that helps in some way. Jesus' prayer is for unity, that we may be one as they are one. All right, let's move towards some specific application here. Here's four. First, pray for unity. For families, for churches, spouses, leaders, pray for unity. And here's some specific lines you can use as you pray. Pray that God's people would be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You know, pray that the Holy Spirit would give his people the right words at the right time as they have tough conversations. And keep on praying, because the devil's favorite, favorite move, and really his only move, is divide and conquer, and his desire is to destroy our unity. And as for how the devil works, I think a helpful story is this. I heard a story about a student who wanted to create, who wanted to find a way to have school canceled. And so he created what was a pretty elaborate and brilliant plan. And so in the middle of the night, he put out a bunch of detour and one-way signs on the surrounding streets so that there was no possible way to get to school. And so when the school bell rang that morning, there were just a bunch of voicemails for the school receptionist. And I think that's kind of how the devil works, right? You know, as in, hey, the Christians want to get together again. Let's set up a bunch of detour signs. No one's going to know that it was us. They'll just be driving around in circles, frustrated by themselves, road rage, no real idea of what's going on or who to blame. It'll be great. And I realize that I'm comparing this high school kid to the devil, but I think you get the idea. <laughs> Pray for unity. The second is this, work towards greater unity. You know, maybe there's some unresolved conflict in your life. Maybe there's a relationship where you feel like you're walking on eggshells. You know, what would it look like to work towards greater unity? 
You know, maybe you're in a leadership position somewhere, at work or at school. You know, one of the key aspects of leadership is ensuring that all your people are moving in the same direction. And so would you say that's true for the people that you lead? And when you find yourself in difficult conversations, you know, have that gut check moment for yourself and ask, is this the hill I wanna die on? You know, am I having this argument or disagreement because I truly am looking out for this person's welfare or do I just wanna be right? You know, have that moment. Three, think us, not them. And here's what I mean by that. When we're at Bell Prez, whether we are in modern worship or sanctuary worship, whoever is the other for you, think of them as us, not them. Talk about them as us, not them. And the same is true for the New Hope Rwandan Church that meets up in the upper campus. They led us in worship a couple months ago. You know, it's us, not them. We are one church, many members that make up one body. It's us, not them. And four, do things that encourage people to ask this question. You know, what could those two people possibly have in common? You know, reach out to those who are different than you. Build those bridges. You know, focus on what you have in common rather than what's different. Because take a look at what Jesus says will happen when people see our faith, see our faith in him as well as our unity with one another. You know, he says the world will then believe that the Father has sent the Son, that Jesus is God. I mean, he says that they may be brought to complete unity so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. I mean, it's as if Jesus is saying, you guys, people will believe in your message when they see your unity. And we'll finish with this. There was a picture that went viral about a month ago. And it's a picture of college football player Travis Rudolph having lunch with sixth grader Bo Paskey. And maybe you saw this photo. Travis plays football for, for Florida State University. And about a month ago, Travis and some of his teammates were visiting Montford Middle School, where Bo goes to school. And he and his teammates joined the students for lunch as well. And all alone at one table was Bo Paskey. And so Travis, seeing this, went over, sat down, and asked if he could have lunch with Bo. And so Bo said, sure, why not? And the two of them hit it off and connected quickly over college football. But what Travis didn't know is that Bo has autism. And on most days, he eats his lunch in the cafeteria all alone. And now someone in the lunchroom took a photo of the two and sent it to Bo's mom, who was so deeply moved by the gesture that she posted it on social media later that day. And from there, it seemed like every newspaper and TV channel picked up the story. And I loved Travis' response to this whole thing. You know, he didn't think it was that big of a deal, and he didn't even say, I was just doing the right thing. He just said, Bo's a cool kid, and we had a great time. And yet, Bo's response was way, way better. He's this sweet, gentle kid, and he compared having lunch with Travis as if he were sitting on a rainbow. And here's what's really cool. If you were to walk into the cafeteria at Montford Middle School, you would see that Bo is now one of the most popular kids in the room. <laughs> He's not eating lunch alone anymore. And now, I wanna be careful. 
not to embellish this story too far. I have no idea if Travis is a Christian. I have no idea if Bo is a Christian. I have no idea if anybody has become a Christian as a result of hearing this story. I mean, maybe, maybe not. But I think it's such a beautiful picture and testament to the power of unity. And I think we as Christians have something to learn here. Because on one hand, you look at this story and you think, why is this such a big deal? I mean, this seems like a pretty simple and small gesture. But then you start thinking about it, and it's a very, very big deal. You know, in the midst of all the fighting and arguing and shootings and terrible things that we see in our news today, our nation is desperate for stories like this. I mean, we are drawn to stories like this. We need more stories like this. I mean, Jesus' prayer for us as the church here in 2016 is for unity, that we may be one that we as God's people, both here at Bell Pres and around the world, would be brought to complete unity so that the world may know Jesus. Whether we're Republican, Democrat, introvert, extrovert, love sports, can't stand them, young, old, of every race, language, ethnicity, culture, we share in common. We share in common this faith in Christ. And we come together as one. I mean, this is a stunning blend of unity and diversity. And it's a powerful witness to our broken, divided, hurting world who is desperately in need of it. So bell pros, may it be so. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this call to unity. We thank you for the unity and diversity we see in you, the Godhead itself. Help us to be your people, your church, your witness in 2016. Amen.